the University of California Riverside presents Blue, Gold, and Black, the podcast that's dedicated to amplifying Black voices at UCR. I'm Dominique Bill from UCR's Community Engagement and Outreach Unit. In each episode, we'll be talking to UCR students, campus leaders, and community partners to explore the intersection of being Black and being a Highlander at UCR. And I can't wait for you to meet today's guest. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to the Blue, Gold, and Black podcast, where we're amplifying black voices here at UCR. I'm your host, Dominique Bill. Today, we have Miss Leslie Settle with us. She works in the Rivera Library here on campus, and so we're going to just have a nice, interesting conversation. Um, she's also a UCR alumni, so she'll be able to offer some really good perspective for our students who are interested in coming to UCR. Miss Leslie, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, no problem. No doubt. No doubt. Thank you. So um, I always like to start with a little bit of background. So if you could tell our audience, please, who you are, um, where you grew up and kind of some of the instrumental life experiences that you have as a young child that kind of helped shape your black identity. And before we transition to how you got to UCR. Okay. well. My name is Leslie Settle. I am born in Los Angeles, California. I moved to Pomona, California um, when I was in fourth grade after the L.A. riots. Okay. Uh, my family wanted to escape um, that neighborhood, get us somewhere safer. Um, in Pomona, I had an interesting childhood. I had a stepfather. He he didn't like us playing with white Barbie dolls. Anything white, we would get in trouble. So wow. from an early age, I was shaped to have a really like negative perspective on mm. Caucasian people. The things you see like in certain types of movies portray, you know, a negative approach on how they will deal with um, African Americans. So I took that through my life, mm-hmm. and I think that prohibited me from going to other schools but I'm glad because UCR was one of my top choices right it prohibited Mm. me because I had a a genuine fear of white people until I got to experience and learn for myself because in my school um like um there were only two white people Snowball and another person Snowball is still my friend to this day that is not her real name that was the (laughs) nickname we gave her because she was one of the only white people in our school um and she was very white with blonde hair blonde eyelashes everything was blonde so we just nicknamed her snowball but yeah so my experience was shaped uh by a negative connotation of not just white people but i would say also black people i remember Mm. i started going to church when i was in 11th grade and when i Mm. went i saw people giving money i grew up in an environment where no black man had ever been successful um i didn't have black male teachers so Mm. i remember i asked the person next to me does everybody in church sell drugs? Because that's the environment <laughs> I was growing up. I was like, how are they giving money unless they're selling drugs? Right. So just how I grew up and to see that. And then now where I'm at today with my own children, it's like night and day. Mm. But again, education played a role in that, right? We're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So the yes. more knowledge I got, the more I was able to change my perspective. That's very interesting. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people, they have... especially black people they have varying experiences I guess how they are socialized you know growing up and obviously environment plays a huge role in that Um, influential members of our family play a huge role in that 
Um, but I like what you said about kind of education helps sparking um, you being able to open up your mind and kind of look at things through a different lens. Can you kind of talk about what type of student you were throughout high school? Was going to college something you always knew you wanted to do? Or was there like an influential teacher or counselor that you had that kind of pushed you towards that? Or what were your thoughts on college back in high school? So in high school, I like to believe I was a great student. I finished with a 4.5. I had straight A's most of my life. Okay, and my mom, type. <laughs> my mom always raised us that like education will help us succeed. So I didn't come from a family that could afford um, college. Mm. So a scholarship was my only option. Right. But I also didn't have anyone in my family who had been to college before gotcha. that could tell me the process. Again, we're still on AOL. So a lot of things I had to find, mm. I had to find on my own, the resources. And my mom was a great help to me in finding different things, but she only knew so much. So right. I only knew as much as I could get my um, my hands on. So I could tell you, like, for me, college was me and my siblings option to get our way out of poverty. Mm. We knew if we could go to school, get an education, we could make a better life. We could leave, you know, what most people would call the ghetto or the inner city mm. and just change um, our perspective. Even when I started college at UCR, I had a full ride, but there wow. was a $200 fee for housing that mm. had to be reimbursed. I almost didn't go to UCR over $200 because my wow. family could not come up and raise the $200 for me to go, even though after that, again, full ride, right? Everything's paid for. Yeah. People in the dorms think, you know, I have all this money, but it's really scholarship money. <laughs> Knowing that, like, at the time, like, my mom, she was still, um, like, in transit from her own housing, different things from my other siblings. So sure. my, my little brother, he lived with me a lot in the dorm my freshman year. Wow. And he was only three years old. But a lot of the people that were in my dorm, I lived in Pentland. That's when Pentland was, like you know, the Beverly Hills of UCR. Okay, uh, That was you. the nicest um, <laughs> dorm at the time. Got but he you. lived there and everybody in my hall, they took turns helping watch my little brother while I would go to class. Wow. No, the RRA, they, she understood what was going on. Uh, like I say, even my, my first Christmas at UCR, I couldn't go home because there was no home to go home to. Mm. So I had to get a request to stay there. And you see, if you're listening, I don't know if you still do. You got to keep like the cable and stuff on for you know the <laughs> students that because there was no cable. No, that's there was nothing fact. to do. I was just in there. I didn't have a cell phone because I couldn't afford a cell phone. Right. Um, so I was just there by myself for the ca for the campus closure. And it was very, very sad. Wow. So <laughs> so just to keep that in mind. But again, mm. like so you see, I has been a home to me to my little brother now to my children that's that's fascinating and it almost kind of just sounds like you know something out of you know a tv show the amount of support that you received i guess from your ucr um, peers and friends at the time i just think that's really impressive that there was a strong sense of community um and i kind of want that to be amplified to our prospective students that might be watching. Um, when you go to a university or any college campus, really, one of the most important things that you can do is try and find that sense of community, find people that you can identify with, relate to, seek mentorship. Um, because you graduating, you know, you have to work hard and put in the work. But, you know, oftentimes graduating, it, it's a whole 
it's like village business. That's what Dr. Mm-hmm. Myrick calls it out of our African student programs. And it's just having that support um, and community around you kind of helping push you towards um, these particular goals. Um, so I, I think that's great. Um, and so let's talk about, obviously, you had to a lot of struggles to overcome as you pursued your um, higher education. Um, first, were you first gen? Did you, Were you the first of your siblings or in your family to go to college? Yes. Yeah, so first-gen, low-income students, and I think a lot of our students can really identify with that struggle, um, still exceeding um, in face of the odds. Can you talk to us about more about that aspect of community that you felt on UCR? Um, Like you said, you kind of grew up with a narrow mind of how you looked at people. Um, Can you talk about how UCR kind of helped expand your mind in that way, how you interacted with people here on campus? So, um, just as a student or as a student and a staff? Uh, let's start with your student journey still. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, as a student, I would um, like to say a lot of the negative stereotypes I had were slowly being broken away by mm. my interaction with other cultures. Nice. I would say um, different people showed me that all people aren't bad. And there's genuinely people who want to help you succeed and want your best if they see that you want your best. So I had a mixed experience. So as far as a student experience, there were lots of students, like I said, that not just helped me with um, my brother, but helped me with technology. Like I never Mm. owned my own laptop or any of these things until Mm. after graduating. I think until after I was almost, I was in my early 30s. It was when I finally got a laptop, right? Because at the time, a lot of my money as a student went to help my family. Mm. So it didn't go necessarily to help my education um, as far as buying extra stuff. So I had to really work with what I had. So that could be using stuff from other students. Mm. Um, That's how I became a part of the library. Um, I applied for a job there because I knew like I needed books. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, if I went to the library, I would have a better chance at getting the resources I need because mm-hmm. um, as a freshman, like coming from a 4.5, I had an overachievers complex. Mm-hmm. So I still wanted to have fun, but I wanted to make sure that I was achieving. And I would just say the network and support, um, everybody used their gift. If there was somebody that was better at math than me, mm-hmm. that was where they would help um, everybody. I was great at writing. So people would come to my dorm room. 2 a.m., 3 a.m., Leslie, I can't figure this out. I can't start my paper. Can you give me an idea? And Mm. we all just helped each other. Now, one thing I would say is never be afraid to be who you are Mm. Um, as a student. Again, I lived in Pentland. There was like a handful of um, African-Americans that lived in Pentland because everybody at the time wanted to live in A&I where Path was, Mm. um, Arlothian. So that was not in Pentland at the time. So there was a handful. I think there was like 10 black people that lived in Pentland Mm. But we traveled over to A&I all the time, right, right, to interact. But we were still who we were. Pentland had a bigger space. Pentland had a stove. So mm. and I knew how to do hair. So I would be in the, in the kitchen, like, flat ironing people's hair, pressing people's hair, <laughs> braiding people's hair. And I remember one time some of the Asian students ran out and was like, something's on fire. Something's on fire. What's going on? And I was like, don't worry, y'all. That's just hair. It's we just got hair. this. And they were like, oh, 
And then after that point, it was like a, a moment for a learning experience. Yeah, that absolutely. another culture got to see how we get to look. Mm-hmm. How like they see us before. I call it Freddie Jackson to Janet Jackson. They get to see <laughs> us in both phases, living in the same dorm, but. They got to learn that. And I could have been like, oh, this is going to make people uncomfortable. They're not going to understand. Sure. But no, if I kept doing it, people kept coming from other dorms, different places. Everybody needed their hair done. Everybody can't afford it. But different gifts we had, we made it work. No, that's <laughs> that's really amazing. Um, and again, it just, it, you know, I really want to emphasize that aspect of community in terms of the UCR student um, population, especially for our prospective black students. Um if you're looking for a black experience, right, not everyone is going to be able to go to an HBCU to really capture that black experience. Um, but we do have a community here at UCR that's really dedicated to making sure that students feel empowered, that students can occupy space and be who um, be who they want to be, um, you know, without fearing judgment or ridicule. So I think that's a very, you know, interesting perspective, a very funny story <laughs> that you provided. And so... Can you tell us a little bit about what you majored in um, while you were a student here at UCR um, and kind of what some of your inspirations behind those majors were? Mm -hmm. So when I came to UCR, okay, I'm going to tell you, my original goal from when I was younger, I wanted to be in communications and advertisement. And I used to do an internship in Malibu where I would leave from Pomona, Mm -hmm. go to Malibu, and I got to do this internship at an organization that came up with Yo Quiero Taco Bell. So they came up with a lot of stuff. I was like, this is what I want to do. But two things, again, my fear of other cultures is Mm. like, is I didn't want to go like to school. I visited other schools. I was like, this is not for me. Mm. And then my my family member, who's the same year as me, um, got accepted to UCR too. So my dad told me I was going to have to go wherever gave me the most money. Mm. But at the time, UCR didn't have the major I mm-hmm. wanted. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, what's my second choice? I said, well, Leslie, you always wanted to be the next Angela Davis. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I'm going to go for ethnic studies. Okay. And everybody was like, what's ethnic studies? Ethnic mm-hmm. studies makes no sense as a degree. You need to have a better degree. You're too smart to just be an ethnic studies major. And I was like, wow. well, if you would like history and you like sociology, ethnic studies combines both of those mm. I said so this is actually this is before right this movement that we're in now mm-hmm. where social ch- so people were really like what could you do with ethnic studies so yeah. my default is I picked a double major p- political science I said wow. I'll do political science and ethnic studies both of those go together everybody was happy now with my decision <laughs> right. uh, they didn't feel like I was just at school to be at school but even in um taking ethnic studies courses i would say those were my favorite classes Mm -hmm. those had my greatest mentors Mm. um teachers who i still am friends with to this day wow um that helped me in my yeah and just in my work in my life um i went on to get a master's in public administration wow the reason for that i didn't share is my after my freshman year, I chose to elope. I was married for 13 years, so I wasn't just going through school. With I had 20 units and I worked 30 mm. hours a week in mm. the library, so I had 20 units, worked 30 hours a week, and I was married. But we were literally like um, Jerry Springer on ice. We made Jerry Springer <laughs> look, you know, PG 13. Right. So I had all that going on and trying to maintain my grades and still helping other people, which I love all that experience that happened to me. Um, right. 
because it really helps me now when mm. I mentor other students. Like, Absolutely. it's possible. You could do this. You can make it happen. Absolutely. No, I think that's amazing. Um, and it goes to another point that I always like to emphasize to students is like, yo, there are so many resources that exist on a college campus, you know, from counseling and psychological services to food insecurity type services, academic based services, a career center. Right. Um, and when you are a student who, you know, it comes from a background where you have a lot of life circumstances and challenges and adversity, uh, it can be really intimidating to take advantage of some of those services or to go out and seek mentorship or to go to your professor's office hours. Um, but it's very important that students realize that, you know, that part is very, very critical. And I like that you brought up you know, some of the mentors that kind of help push you through um, your higher education experience. Can you kind of talk about some of the mentorship that you received and how that was instrumental in your success? Oh, absolutely. So I had a couple of mentors. I would say you need, you need, students need to not just get mentors, they need to find sponsors. Mm. Like I didn't really know about sponsors until, um, I became older, but I realized I had sponsors throughout my career, right, as well, a student. Well, let, let's unpack that a little bit before we get into the mentorship. Tell students exactly what you mean by a sponsor and how that helped you. Okay. So a sponsor is somebody specifically who can help you get to the next level mm. in your life, right? Mm-hmm. A mentor will mentor you, coach you, uplift you, help you out when you need help, but actually a sponsor is somebody who's in a position to do something to help change your circumstance. So for me, I had a couple of sponsors. Um, I could give my first example of a sponsor, and then I'll go back to a mentor, because I had a mentor, a woman who I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. I don't want to forget to leave her out. But my sponsor, as far as in work, is I remember as a student working in the library, this is at the time I was making, I was one of the highest paid students, but again, you know, minimum wage was already low. So I was at, I was making seven seventy five an hour and I thought, you know, <laughs> I was, I was balling, but I That's needed so more, I, I, like I needed more money. I was like, this is not going to work. Right. And then, um, I decided to quit my job at the library and go get a job at Carl's Jr. Because Carl's Jr. was going to pay me $10 an hour to stand mm. at the door and greet because they said they had, um, like really low customer satisfaction. They needed a friendly face to stand at the door and greet. And I can mm. tell you, I worked at Carl's Jr. for two days. Now I'm gonna tell you why. Wow. So I worked at Carl's Jr. for two days. When I worked at Carl's Jr., this was like eye-opening for me. People were looking at me like, this girl's too cute to just be here working at Carl's Jr. She's too smart. And I'm like, but I'm a student. They didn't see me as a student. Mm. They saw me as a, a minimum wage worker. Like I was less than right. whoever was coming in. But I was like, only if you knew that right. I'm doing other stuff with my life, but right. that doesn't matter. The reason I worked at Carl's Jr. for two days is because there was another department in the library. That supervisor had seen my work ethic. She had seen me move from a student one to a student two. Mm. And she said, Leslie, I heard you quit your job to go work at Carl's Jr. You're so much more than Carl's Jr. Let me hire you as a temporary staff and give you your own desk, your own workspace. And that's how I started working 30 um hours a week and then I got to go my work schedule was flexible where I could still go to class come back to work if that lady was not in a position to help me and to sponsor me Mm. I probably wouldn't be you know where I'm at today because she helped give me that boost because Mm. most people unfortunately when you graduate school you don't just need to graduate school they want you to graduate school and have experience 
Yeah. Right? So that experience <laughs> exactly. factor is what students need to be getting yes. while they're in school. They need to get the transferable skills. They need to get different things. So school is fun. College is fun, right? You're going to have fun, mm. but you really need to focus on after you graduate, starting from when you first hit the door. Like, yeah. who, who no. do I need to partner with and who can help make sure I get to where I need to go next? No, I, you know, I think that's one of the things when I look back on my undergrad experience, that's one of the things that I always kick myself in the butt in is because I was working two jobs, you know, throughout most of college. Um, when I was playing football, I had a job on the side. I ended up having my daughter, like my spring semester of my junior year. So it was very hard for me to be connected with my campus. I didn't stay on campus. Um, so it was very hard for me to be connected with the people on campus and to actually utilize the resources that were on my campus the way that I needed to until I already found myself struggling towards the tail end of my um, undergrad experience. So I, I think that's very, very critical. And I want our prospective students to know, like, when you come to UCR, these are the type of staff members and faculty members that you're dealing with. They can see the potential in you. They can help kind of guide and steer you in the right direction and give you big breaks and big opportunities um, to further yourself and to better yourself. So I think you did a really great job for us in kind of highlighting what your student experience was like on UCR. So let's transfer over to your professional experience. Obviously, you started working with the library as a student. You got hired as temporary staff. But just go ahead and tell our audience what it is now, what is your official title as of today, um, and kind of what your job entails and how you support the library and its students. Okay, so I am the Access Services Desk Coordinator in Rivera. So if you ever come into the Rivera Library, that main service desk, uh, my job is to um, hire and train the service desk workers. So gotcha. if you get poor service and you write an email complaint, it's going to come to me. I'm going to okay. be the one to respond. If <laughs> You're the one any, cracking like, the whip <laughs> around the place, huh? <laughs> issues. But I would say that um, we have low turnover. Beautiful. Since I've been there, we have, like, we're one of the departments with the lowest turnover, the mm. highest student satisfaction, and our students usually stay all for sometimes five years so wow. jobs don't open up until someone leaves i remember doing an interview of a student and they said they wanted to apply because they heard how great of a, I'm a supervisor i am and how wow. i help people not just in like working in a job but also like what they could do to succeed outside because right there's things that i didn't know right i never knew what a fico score was Mm. I never knew what Dun & Bradstreet was. I didn't know hardly anything about credit, about mm. I didn't have a checking account. You know, people in my family didn't have credit. So mm. as a student, I didn't learn these skills. But as an adult, what I did learn, oh, I'm definitely sharing those skill sets mm. with my students. So that way, when they graduate, they have credit. They have they could get a house if they want to. It's not, you know, people think, oh, I don't have enough money. So I'm teaching them all these skills. So me as a career staff has been a blessing because mm. I feel like I'm really here. It's not for a paycheck because, um, I mean, with the skills I have, I could definitely go make more money somewhere else. People for always sure. tell me, oh, you're a product of a wasted education. I said, no, I'm a product of purposed life mm. because I think I'm purposed to be here for students who really need it. So I could give you an example. I've had students that um, have gotten pregnant. They wanted to drop out, but I'm like, wow. no, don't drop out. We can help you. I've had 
to do like favors in on campus for housing. Like my student needs to be in housing. I can't let them quit. They only got a year and a half left. Mm. I did a whole like I've got other staff, hundreds of other staff involved mm. in like donating and supporting and making sure the student had what they need. So one mm. thing I would tell students and anybody listening that if you are really a person that's doing your job, you're doing your job well, and you have a heart for people, people are going to have a heart to help you. Mm. Like, people weren't helping my students because they knew my students. They're helping my students because they're like, I know Leslie, I know her work ethic, and if mm. she wants to do it, then it must be something we all need to do and partner in. So mm. I've had students who came to me who are not even my, like, under me as, a, as my direct report, but mm-hmm. they're just students on campus who will come to the service desk and say, excuse me, are you Leslie? Can you take a break? Mm. Because I, I need help and I heard you help me. And I'll be like, sure, I'll go take a break. And they could be suicidal. They could mm. be depressed. They could have been a victim of rape, which I do follow. If you're listening, the mandated reporting <laughs> for UCR, I don't want that to come back to me. But just to help them and then see how a negative situation really went from a positive just by making myself available Mm. i would also like to add that i tried when i was a student there was one lady who's now like my forever work mom she's retired but we are still very close Mm -hmm. she always ensured the students have food she always ensured if we needed anything she was there to help us she started off working at the library when she was 18 she didn't have an education she just worked her way up um, from a library one to a library four there was times even like she had an abusive marriage. She would have to. She told me stories where her kids would like have to sleep in the in the library overnight to be mm. protected from her abuser. But she was there, and she helped me. She started Thanksgiving feast to feed like all the students who couldn't go home on Thanksgiving, and she would buy it out of her pocket. So mm. that spirit that she gave me, because she fed me a lot of meals. Like I was hungry, and she made sure I had food. <laughs> right. I want to make sure that there is no student, at yeah. least that if I could see them. And be close enough to them that they're not going to be hungry. So yeah. I was going over with my students like, do you need anything? Even if they were like stranded, they know they can call me and text me and say, mm. I always tell them, I said, if it's outside of work, I might not respond to the staff. But for y'all, I will go, I will go pick you up if you desperate and right. you need a ride. And that has happened many of times where wow. students will be places they should not be. Yep. And then, you know, they call me crying, like, please come get me. They, you know, their family lives up north Mm. or their family lives out of state. They don't have anybody else that could come. Mm. So that's where, like, I feel like my purpose is to come in and say, okay, I'll be here for you. I won't judge you. How can we move forward from what just happened? Man, it sounds like I need to try and find my way to go work (laughs) in the library to get alongside (laughs) with you. That sounds amazing. I mean, and it's. It's funny because when I think back again to my undergrad experience, like even though I didn't stay on campus, I'd still have to be on campus for, you know, seven, eight hours a day because I got three classes. (laughs) Each of them are an hour and they're two and a half hours apart. Like it just Ah, sucked. And but I probably spent like 95 percent of my time in the library, like whether I was doing what I was supposed to do at working or I just needed to find the ducked off corner where I could take a nap or get some rest Mm -hmm. and you know, I, I think it it gets kind of understated about how many resources exist just within your university's library outside of like, you know, the books and the academic things that obviously it's designed for. You know, you have great people who work in the library and I think you're the perfect um, uh, example of that. So this idea of mentorship and paying it forward, obviously um, 
that's what drives you, right? And how important is it for people in older generations, at least to reach back? I mean, we kind of get a disconnect between the younger generation and the older generation. From what I see, sometimes the younger generation might have a little bit of jadedness or, you know, a, too much pride and they don't want to, they don't, they feel like they should be able to solve all of their own problems. Um, I was one of those students. It took me getting placed on academic probation for my third time, risk of expulsion from my university for me to say like, yo, I need this help. Um, I have to reach out to somebody. Could you tell our students like, or speak to them in that sense? Like how important is it for students to get outside of their comfort zone and to take responsibility over the resources that they need to be successful? Oh yes, that's good. So. First, I think as students, we all need to learn how to manage um, the unexpected, right? Mm. There's things that are going to happen, but it's how we manage it that's going to help. And mm. in manage it, you're like, you're not alone. You're not independent. I know a lot of students, they turn 18, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm grown now, right? <laughs> you're not independent, but you're trying not to be dependent. So you exactly. have to look at the relationship more as interdependent. Sure, like, okay. it's going to take people to help you. And as long as you're in the dark about any issue that you're going through mm. then you know i don't think we're meant to carry burdens alone i think right. we are meant as you said um it take it takes a village right it's a village mm-hmm. business so there are people there to help there are people that won't judge you there are people who have the resources like mm. i think i read a quote but it's not going to be exact that um you don't listen to um, older people because they have all the right answers you listen to them because they've been through some things mm. and they have wisdom to know what didn't work right. so like so you could at least get that experience from them so I would encourage students to don't let their own fear of what somebody might think or say of them prevent mm-hmm. them from getting the help they need if so, if you think somebody might say oh well that such and such that you know that was a stupid question. There's no stupid question, right? The worst somebody could say is no, I don't want to help you. And then move Mm -hmm. on to the next person. Mm -hmm. But like a closed mouth is not going to get fed. So if you need something, I could give you, I could tell you another example, just as a student, my sister also went to UCR and she was having a problem and she didn't have, I I think I had the best counselor in the world. Mm. And she told me, Leslie, stop referring people to me because they're not my <laughs> my <laughs> students but she was just so great but yeah. I was able to just take what that counselor was teaching me and what my mom had taught me on not taking no for an answer and I remember my sister needed um to get into a class or she would have to take a whole nother semester remember we don't come from money we can't mm-hmm. afford to just be here for just a whole nother semester here, right, and exactly. I remember I had told her, well, this is what we're going to do. I said, we both go miss work. And she was like, I can't afford to miss work. I was like, you make six twenty-five hour. You, we can miss work. I right. said, <laughs> and we went into um, to Hendraker, where the chancellor's okay. office was, and we stood outside that door. It was at least for, it was at least probably for, it felt like forever, but it was probably like only like five, six hours until somebody said, okay, w- w- what do you need? Because I was right. like, we're not going to move. She already tried to talk to the teacher. She already tried to do this process. None of this is working. So we need to go mm. a little step higher so somebody could let them tell us no. Mm. Don't say that it just works like this and this is how it is. If somebody's okay. telling you as a student, this is just how it is, know they're, they're living in a mindset that's not true because everything's always changing. UCR is change management. Okay. 
We yes. are constantly changing. We are constantly developing. We are constantly growing. So if somebody tells you that, say thank you and go to the next person and the right. next and person until I, you I, get so the help rules, you need. Rules exist until they don't. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yes, there are policy. Yes, there are rules to kind of guide the general direction. But I think what you're emphasizing right now is just kind of like that self-advocacy aspect that is so, 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 so crucial um, for students on a college campus um, because you know, there will be instances where you need a special circumstance, right? You need a course to count for another requirement or you need this course because you don't want to take an extra semester. Um, And no is just not a satisfactory answer. Um, There's ways that you can advocate for yourself. So I think um, that's a really amazing story. I mean, that's some serious dedication. Standing outside of the chancellor's office for five to six hours. So I'm hoping the story ended nicely and you guys got what you needed. Please continue. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And my sister was like, it only took this. I was like, see, it wasn't even that long. Mm. I mean, it felt, but I mean, compared to the anxiety and the different things that were going on about this. So I would say students, a lot of times you're going to have anxiety. Mm. I think freshman year in the dorms, everybody had anxiety when report cards first came out. And I'm going (laughs) to encourage you guys because I remember um, in Pentland, you know, Pentland Hills supposed to have the more privileged UCR students. And I remember um, and our like they went through every row and whoever whoever had the highest GPA collectively was winning a pizza party for their row. Mm. Um, And the highest GPA collectively was a 2.4 for the whole row and wow. I would like to say that I help boost you know my my because you pull, you a lot of, up, a lot of was my people high, was on, was on academic probation the so they yeah. were on academic probation their first quarter just because yeah. of that don't drop yeah. out don't yeah. give up don't, don't think it's the end of the world even if you get on academic probation twice don't if it, you need to talk to somebody who can help you let, let, let me there. just <laughs> let me just share on that point um because that's very real. I was a four four point something GPA high school student, honors with distinction. I got the little fancy shoulder things and the tassels, the whole nine yards. High school was crazy easy, right? Um, for me, at least, it was easy because there's just certain things that you can do in high school to be successful. And turning in your homework was 70% of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... When I got to college, I realized I developed so many bad habits in high school that I was still able to be successful in spite of that when I got to college, it was a huge culture shock. So like I mentioned earlier, I was placed on academic probations three times throughout my undergraduate career, Um, not entirely because the academics were that hard, but my life was all over the place at that time. I was in and out of home, you know, parent parental issues. I had a kid, jobs. And so it was very hard for me to prioritize and um, really put stuff in my life, like on level of importance, like, okay, I need to be at school because this is what's going to help propel my future to deal with the certain circumstances that I have now. And I had to sit in front of a huge Game of Thrones looking desk <laughs> with like, faculty members, deans and professors, and they were all looking. I'm sitting at the head of the table and they're all looking at me. I was 20, maybe 21 at the time. And they were like, all right, Mr. Bill, why do you deserve to be here? Like just straight, Mm -hmm. blunt, no sugarcoating. And I had to advocate for myself. I had to be honest. I had to be willing to step outside of that 
uncomfortability and that shyness Mm -hmm. that I had and really tell people like, yo, this is what I'm going through. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know I can be successful. I know I can do these things. I just I I need the help to manage everything else. Um, And they empathized with me. They got me the help. They were head over heels for me after that conversation and they got me more academic counselors they got me tutors they got me everything i needed i needed a class um to double count for you know general ed requirements i went and talked to the dean of that department and he was like no problem signed it off right then and there like it's all about self-advocacy and that intimidation factor of thinking, especially when you're young, especially when you're not familiar with college, you're a first generation student, you don't think that I can just go occupy the chancellor's space and get what I need. Um, but sometimes it, with a good heart and with good intentions, it takes those types of radical actions to be successful. And that's what the college experience is all about. And that's the type of environment that you can be in if you choose to come to UCR. Um, so I really want to emphasize that to students. Never be afraid to advocate for yourself. Um, so thank you, Leslie, for sharing that. Um, and so I kind of want to uh, just transition. Um, we're kind of coming up towards the end of our time. And so I kind of just want to ask you, I always like to end my shows with um, what I like to call black optimism, right? You know, what is our most optimistic vision of the future when it comes to current and future black UCR scholars. And so if you could kind of just share with our audience, um, what would you like to see in the future for our black scholars to help push them forward? What is your most optimistic vision and why you're so dedicated to serving our students? Um, I would say to give back. Mm. Um, Don't forget where you came from and how Mm. you got to where you are. It just didn't happen by chance. Mm-hmm. So there's people that you could help once you get there. I, mm-hmm. I always say Nesby has the greatest support um, on campus with black alumni and black leaders giving back to wow. young black engineers. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't matter what your major is. If it's math, science, history, English, mm-hmm. wherever you go after UCR, even mm-hmm. if it's still working at UCR, you need to be that hand to give back because there was once a student like you who, you know, barely making it, don't have transportation, suffers from food insecurity, very bright, very smart, very talented, just don't have the resources to get to where they need to get um, to succeed. And they're seeing other people that may have those resources more Mm -hmm. readily available. So I would say, don't look at other people. Remember to um, give back. And I would really want to say something that I do like is to remember that Faith doesn't make things easy, but it definitely makes them possible. Mm. So uh, no matter what you believe, to have faith in yourself that you can succeed and where your end result is. And then, like I said, once you get there, don't forget the community. There's uh, we have a good black alumni network, right, for people who graduated. We have African student programs. They're always hosting ways to give back to Mm. the students. It's for us to be connected and take that extra effort to be there for them. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I want to give a big shout out to you, Leslie. Um, The work that you're doing to help support our students is beyond commendable. um, And it's important. You know, it's important, like you said, to be able to reach your hand backwards and pull up the next generation because they're going to have to 
go further than us, right? And when we kind of look back to our ancestors, if they didn't have that sense of optimism, if they didn't have the forethought to think like, okay, maybe not in my lifetime, but for sure my grandchildren's children will live in this type of world. And so I think we are living that out. And there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Um, But having people like you on campus um, is very instrumental not only for the campus's sake, but for the student population, but in particular our black student population, um, because they need the help, they need the love, and they need the support. So, um, and really quick, I just want to kind of give this um, opportunity. How can students still take advantage? I would say this is more so for current UCR students. How can students still take advantage of the library services in this pandemic um, situation? If you can kind of just paint that picture to let students know that the library still has their back, still supporting them. Can you kind of just shed some light onto that, please? Oh, yes, absolutely. So in a non-pandemic library structure, right, students, I would say first, if you didn't know, there's all type of resources in the library. Even Mm -hmm. if you don't have a calculator, we got calculators. You don't Mm -hmm. have headphones, we have headphones. You don't have a laptop, we have laptops. There's all kind of resources when the library is in full, you know, mode that you could get your textbooks. So now as you are a student during, you know, COVID-19 and the libraries, the whole campus is operating under limited hours. Mm -hmm. We still have uh, request systems. So um, if students need something, first we have this new, like, vast electronic database called Hottie Trust. So mm. anything you need is more than likely going to be made available digitally. Wow. However, if it's not, which is in rare cases, when I say everything, like, the library is really, they'll buy new things mm-hmm. just to make sure that material is there. But let's say by chance it's some rare document, you request it, it could be available um, in the back of the library for curbside pickup, so you can still get your hands Beautiful. on physical books. Faculty know that if they want um, electronic reserves, I need something specific for their class, um, a reading or something that is not available, we are making that available. So mm. anything students need, if a student has a learning disability and they have a screen reader, it's still not helping, they just can't do digital learning, then sure. we also have things in place to help them get materials that they need. So if you actually need any material, like I said, the library database is great. Uh, You have access to not just journal databases, journal databases that cost thousands of dollars a month if you're on your own. Mm. The library pays for that. You just need to know to go online and you've got access to scholarly resources, primary sources. We have Ask a Librarian, which you could chat with them 24 hours a day. There's always, between all the UCs, there's always going to be a librarian on to answer Um. your question about your research. So don't say, oh, it's the middle of the night, nobody can help me. No, you go on, you Mm -hmm. ask your question, and somebody will respond to you. So I think that that is a great um, benefit for students. Again, we're doing our best to make sure any services they need. We also did a partnership with... For, uh, with African student programs, yes. Dr. Myrick had this wonderful suggestion that it would be great if UCR had more information and more academic resources on the current movement, hmm. uh, the current social movements, like mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, different things that are going on. And that partnership birthed, now we have an actual guide for students, um, staff and faculty can use it as well, that has a list of various um, academic books, Mm. Um, research, news articles, movies, 
Yeah. Audio is just a whole slew. So if you want to learn more and know more, uh, whether you're African-American or not, it's for everybody to yes. learn more about the current movement. The library has that resource available. Wow. I mean, I don't think much else needs to be said. If you need something, go to the library. Hit up Miss Leslie Settle. She's going to figure out how to get you what you need. And yeah. that's a fact. So, Leslie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Blue, Gold and Black podcast. We were so happy to be able to amplify your voice today um, and just represent for the UCR, the library and the black community here and how we're trying to push things forward and make it better for the future generations of scholars. So I really yeah. appreciate your time today. Um, thank you. And we'll see you all next time. Yes, thank you, too. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. This program is produced by the Community Engagement and Outreach Unit of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of California, Riverside. Learn more about attending UCR by visiting admissions.ucr.edu. And be sure to check out the description for other useful links and resources. Help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing. And be sure to check out our podcast videos on YouTube. Catch you guys later.